0: Thanks for watching ntd business coming up president biden moving ahead with a plan to lower student loan repayments but critics warn it could cost taxpayers more than expected the latest twitter files drop seems to show pfizer board member scott Gottlieb pressuring twitter to censor tweets all the tweets went against the government's vaccination goals a new report shows americans finding it harder and harder to pay off credit card dues as they continue to take on billions of dollars of debt each month. That and more coming up on NTD Business. (music) Great to have you with us. Tiffany here, in for The Department of Education is proposing lower student loan payments for millions of people. The proposed rule could reduce payments to 40 cents per dollar, saving borrowers some $1,000 per year. It would also pause payments for anyone making less than $30,600 a year. In addition, there would no longer be a charge for unpaid monthly interest. Smaller loans would be forgiven after 10 years of payment. Biden's team estimates the repayment plan would cost $138 billion over the next decade. But critics think it'll cost taxpayers closer to $200 billion. The Committee for a Responsible Budget warns that the rule could transform the student loan system into a grant program and lead students to take out larger loans and colleges to charge more. The Biden administration is now seeking feedback from the public. A final rule could be released later this year. The latest batch of Twitter files is out. This badge tells the story of how Pfizer board member Scott Gottlieb seems to have tried to suppress debate over COVID vaccination. Some quick background on Scott Gottlieb. He was the commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, back in 2018. This is a federal agency that aims to protect the public health in regards to food and drugs. After leaving the FDA, he then became a board member at Pfizer. His connection to Pfizer is deeper than him just sitting on the board. He's also the head of Pfizer's Regulatory and Compliance Committee, as well as a member of the board's Executive Committee. According to the Twitter files, back in 2021, in the midst of COVID chaos, Gottlieb saw a tweet that said natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot. Gottlieb then directly told Twitter that this tweet is corrosive. He questioned the validity of the tweet and said that it would end up going viral and driving news coverage. An analyst at Twitter found that the tweet did not violate any misinformation rules. But Twitter slapped a misleading tag on the tweet anyway. And that's not all. The person who wrote the tweet, Dr. Brett Gior, used to be the Assistant Secretary for Health, a government position that's far higher than Scott Gottlieb's position as FDA commissioner. Not just that, Dr. Brett Giorg himself was also at one point commissioner of the FDA, Scott Goblieb's old job. So far from an unqualified individual. Dr. Robert Malone was heavily involved in the creation of the mRNA vaccine technology. Both Malone and his colleagues have been censored on Twitter because of their views on vaccination. But he says the censorship of Brett Gyor is different.
1: This is Gottlieb trying to silence the voice of a very senior, highly connected, um, deeply embedded government official um, that has moved in and out of the government uh, for decades. I am stunned at, at the chutzpah uh, that, that, is, that is shown here. Um, the, it's, it's profound.
0: A week later, Gottlieb raised concerns again over another tweet, this time from vaccine skeptic Justin Hart. Hart tweeted that sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of around zero percent has cost our children nearly three years of schooling. This time, Twitter didn't take action based on Gottlieb's complaint. Dr. Harvey Risch was professor emeritus of epidemiology at Yale. Risch says both of the tweets are completely true.
2: It's been known since ancient times that infection and survival from infection leads to immunity. And it it doesn't take repetition of the obvious. Everybody who's gone through classwork or, or medical school knows that infections especially respiratory infections, provide immunity going forward for the same or closely related strains. Children who are seriously affected have chronic conditions that put them at, at higher risk. And those are ones who need attention. But by and large, all healthy children have essentially zero risk.
0: Risch believes this Twitter file drop shows a violation of ethical standards. He says these government and corporate officials are trying to accomplish what they want unrelated to the health of the general population. Jake Denton is a tech policy researcher at the Heritage Foundation. He says that this is the first time the Twitter files has shown a private individual trying to censor tweets on behalf of corporate interests.
1: But up until this point, it's largely been government actors, people from three letter agencies, the White House. Um, And this latest installment shows that private sector, corporate interests were also in charge of, you know, certain aspects of the content moderation.
0: Denton also points out that if you're a doctor and someone in Silicon Valley slaps a misleading label on your tweet, it can harm your reputation and career. Both your employer and your patients can see it. Dr. Robert Malone, who was banned on Twitter for his views on the COVID-19 vaccines before being allowed back on, believes Scott Gottlieb is corrupted by money.
1: He is serving the interests of his client his customer uh, that's that's classic uh, that's what a consultant does that's what an employee does that's why they get paid uh, you know 360 or whatever his salary is as his base salary uh, and with that the Pfizer has bought his allegiance
0: Kaiser pays Scott Gottlieb around $365,000 to sit on its board, according to Salary.com. Gottlieb didn't seem to directly reply to the material in the Twitter files. Instead, he tweeted about how the selective disclosure of his private communications harms the safety of himself and others. We've reached out to Scott Gottlieb to get his side. U.S. stocks ended higher today. The Dow added 186 points, or six-tenths of a percent. The S&P rose 27 points, or seven-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq gained 107 points, or one percent. New Federal Reserve data shows consumer borrowing in November went up by almost $28 billion. That's down slightly from the $29 billion gain the month before, but higher than the expected $25 billion. Consumer credit has been growing consistently between $24 billion and $30 billion per month for the past seven months. Households are borrowing more to deal with inflation. A new Bankrate.com survey found that nearly half of 46% of all cardholders are carrying credit card debt month to month. This is amid record high credit card interest levels. The national average credit card rate is now 20%, according to CreditCards.com. And earlier, NTD's Don Ma spoke to industry analysts about consumers' growing debt and what it could mean for the economic outlook.
3: And now joining us to discuss credit card debt is Ted Rossman, senior industry analyst at Bankrate.com and Joseph Trevisani, senior analyst at FX Street. Now, Joseph, let me go to you first. So mounting credit card debt, uh, you know, coupled with record interest rates on that debt, What are some of the scenarios you see resulting from this?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting because the the natural event, the natural occurrence, the natural tendency for people when they start to see either a, a drop in their income or a drop in their purchasing power, which is what we're seeing because of inflation, is to extend their credit card debt. It's a natural thing to do, especially over the holidays. So you've seen that. If you look over the credit card debt over the past six or eight months, it's been rising steadily but this is not a permanent solution to anything and in my guess the first and the second quarters you're going to see a cutback in consumer spending because this debt has to be paid off especially at the higher rates that you're seeing today
3: and ted i want to talk to you about the bank rate survey it said more americans are carrying debt but what i'd like to know is are people having trouble paying back that debt
5: Balances are definitely up. The New York Fed says they're up 15% year over year. Our research shows that 46% of credit card holders are currently carrying debt. That's up from 39% a year ago. And rates are way up. So that's a tough combination. Delinquencies, though, have not started to rise in any meaningful way. We've seen a little tick up the past few months, but nothing really worrisome as of yet. The question, though, is, is that more of a lagging indicator? The job market's strong right now, but is that also a lagging indicator? There is some reason to believe that with continued high inflation, higher rates, what I'm hearing from the industry is normalization, as in back to 2019 kind of delinquency levels, not as super low as they have been the past couple of years. Nothing terribly worrisome, but it certainly bears watching.
3: So, Joseph, I guess the question is, you know, earlier you mentioned consumer spending coming back. I wonder, is, is that going to affect uh, the U.S. GDP in, in the next quarter?
4: I think it definitely will. I think it's going to affect it in the first half. A U.S. GDP, the traditional figure, standard figure, is about 70% tied to consumer spending. Consumers stop spending, consumers slow down spending. It has a tremendous effect on U.S. GDP. Will consumers who are now becoming more and more burdened with consumer debt and also with making those payments out of cash flow, out of you know what they're earning, what they're taking home every month. Having run up consumer debts, certainly into the holidays, it will cut back naturally to start paying off some of that debt and get the balances lower. So I think we're definitely going to have an impact on GDP from consumer spending. One other number, of course, are the ISM numbers that just came out. And the new order figures for both manufacturing and services, services being a larger part of the economy, are now both below 50. They're both in contraction. That means manufacturers and providers, stores, are seeing less consumption. So I think you have an answer, and it's looking forward. I think it's going to continue.
3: Ted, at Bankrate.com, what are your thoughts on why more Americans are carrying debt? What's behind that? We typically
5: find when people are in credit card debt, it's usually one of two reasons. It's usually either an emergency expense, something unexpected with their health or their home or their car, or it's just day to day living. And I think, especially the past year, it's probably been mostly the latter high inflation leading to more people putting day-to-day living expenses on their credit cards. And credit card debt is one of those things that's easy to get into and hard to get out of. My top tip would be to get a 0% balance transfer card. That lets you pause the interest clock for up to 21 months. That could save you
3: a ton of money and interest. And do you have any more tips for how to not get into this debt cycle? Or if somebody's already in it, how do they get out? I
5: think if you're in it, it comes down to Figuring out how to lower your personal rate, whether that's a zero percent balance transfer or a personal loan that might be as low as about seven percent if you have good credit, and then you pay off the cards with that and you pay the personal loan over time. Nonprofit credit counseling agencies like Money Management International can negotiate something like a six percent rate over four or five years. I think you have to know yourself to, too. You know, it's like people say about credit cards—they're they're like power tools. They could be really useful or they could be dangerous, and. If you're somebody who is prone to carrying expensive debt, maybe stick to cash or debit. And, you know, for others, if you're paying in full, then yeah, rewards are great, but you have to pay in
3: full to make rewards worth it. Mm -hmm. All right. Just quickly, last thing, Joseph. Recession this year, are you on on the side of a shallow one or a deep one?
4: At the moment, I would say it would be a shallow one. Um, With the job market still as strong as it is, um, I mean, non-farm payroll in December um, were a little bit better than expected. But they're also the lowest number um, since the lockdowns. Actually, since one, there was one month, December 2021, I believe, we had, where the market actually shed job 115,000. Before that, it goes back to the lockdowns uh, for the lowest number. So the job market is cooling, but with 10.5 job, 10.4 and a half million jobs still available, the market is still able to provide employment for almost anyone who wants it. So with that kind of background to the labor market. I don't see a very deep or serious
3: recession. All right, thank you very much, Ted. Joseph, thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. me.
0: Goldman Sachs reportedly could start cutting thousands of jobs starting tomorrow. It appears it's preparing for economic uncertainty and a potential recession. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest.
6: According to Reuters, just over 3,000 employees are expected to be let go from Goldman Sachs but the final number is yet to be determined. Gerard Cassidy is a managing director at RBC Capital Markets. He says the banking industry as a whole struggled last year.
2: The news that we expect to see layoffs at Goldman Sachs should not be a surprise to most investors due to the fact that the investment banking business in 2022 was very, very challenged, not only for Goldman Sachs, but for the industry.
6: According to Stephen Biggar of Argus Research, the layoffs have been a long time coming.
1: Yeah I think it's it's not um, you know too surprising, obviously we've been looking for uh, some reduction in force at, at, at some of the major banks for you know a couple of quarters now. And it's just part and parcel of, of a very weak, uh, particularly investment banking environment that we've seen.
6: Cassidy says there are several factors that will determine the bank's workforce decisions.
2: The primary reason for the downsizing for Goldman Sachs is the weakness in the investment banking business, specifically the ECM business, equity capital markets. The IPO business this year for Goldman and the industry was down approximately 80%.
6: Another consideration is mergers and acquisition data.
2: Second. You also saw the advisory, that's the M&A business, was also down in 2022, which is another factor. In trading, however, trading the markets business, as it's referred to, was actually pretty good in 2022. So that's not the reason for the downsizing.
6: Goldman's struggle to make a profit from its venture into consumer banking could also lead to job cuts.
2: And then unique to Goldman, the third reason, is that their expansion into the consumer banking business has not gone as well as they had expected. They still have failed to achieve profitability. And so I think you're going to find that some of the downsizing or layoffs will be coming out of their consumer banking business.
6: The potential scale of layoffs could be the firm's largest since the 2008 financial crisis. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Bed, Bath & Beyond is running out of options to avoid bankruptcy. The company lost a third of its sales during the holiday run-up, in part because of a lack of merchandise on its shelves. It's also struggled to transition to online shopping and fend off rivals like Walmart, Target and Amazon. Compared to a year ago, the retailer said Tuesday that sales fell 33% in the latest quarter, down to $1.3 billion. Overall revenue losses also came into play, hitting over $390 million during the quarter. That's a 42% jump from a year ago. The company's president and CEO says it's working on turning its strategy around. It's working to cut costs, hoping to slash $500 million across the company. To do that, the company announced a round of store closures and layoffs back in August planning to close 150 of its stores and slash 20% of its staff. As for looming bankruptcy fears, it's looking at several options, including selling assets or restructuring its business in bankruptcy court. If Bed Bath & Beyond does file for bankruptcy, it would join a list of high-profile retailer collapses in the past five years. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports.
6: These are some of the biggest bankruptcies over the past five years by assets and liabilities at the time of their filings. Ascena Retail Group filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in July 2020. The former owner of Ann Taylor, Lane Bryant and Loft is now a part of Premium Apparel LLC. The company acquired Acena for $540 million in November 2020. Sears Holding Corp. was once the nation's largest retailer, but the 125-year-old chain filed for bankruptcy in October 2018, following a decade of revenue declines and hundreds of store closures. In fact, Sears had not turned a profit since 2011. Ultimately, it succumbed to stiff competition from chains like Walmart. J.C. Penney filed for bankruptcy protection in May 2020, after more than a century in business. After months of bankruptcy proceedings, the company averted liquidation. A judge ruled in November 2020 to let it continue under new owners, Simon Property Group and Brookfield Asset Management. Toys R Us was the largest U.S. toy store chain before filing for bankruptcy protection in late 2017. At the time, its bankruptcy was the biggest collapse of a U.S. retailer by assets since Kmart in 2002. J. Crew's parent company, Chino's Holdings, filed for bankruptcy protection in May 2020. J. Crew was the first major retail casualty of the pandemic. It soon emerged from bankruptcy with much of its store base intact and $400 million in fresh financial aid. Claire's Stores filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in March 2018. The jewelry retailer emerged from bankruptcy in October 2018 after eliminating $1.9 billion in debt. Claire's filed to go public again in late 2021, backed by Goldman Sachs. The U.S. luxury department store chain Neiman Marcus filed for bankruptcy protection in May 2020. The nearly 113-year-old chain's CEO blamed the unprecedented disruption caused by the pandemic. Tailored Brands and Nine West Holdings were also among the largest retailer bankruptcies of the past five years. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: U.S. small business confidence led to a six-month low in December. This according to the National Federation of Independent Business Survey on Tuesday. An NFIB chief economist said small business owners are not optimistic about 2023 as sales and business conditions are expected to deteriorate. 32% of owners reported that inflation was their single most important problem. 41% of owners reported job openings were hard to fill. The difficulty was most noticeable in the transportation, manufacturing and construction industries, the NFIB said. And if you have any news, tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Fisher Price recalling a baby sleeper again after more reports of infants dying. Law enforcement warnings about a new crypto scam. How can you protect yourself? That and more coming up on NTD Business. NTD Business takes a look into some of the businesses that have recently begun implementing artificial intelligence chatbots. NTD's Sean Marshall examines how some industries could be disrupted by the latest hype and ethical concerns over some new business models.
7: As the capabilities of artificial intelligence programs become more advanced, could entire industries be at risk of losing revenue to AI bots? The risk seems obvious in cases like writing website code and most forms of writing. Meta, Canva and Shopify are already using the technology behind ChatGPT and their customer service chatbots. ChatGPT is an advanced artificial intelligence chatbot. There's been lots of hype surrounding OpenAI's chatbot GPT-3 lately and concerns have been raised over possible ethical issues. Lawyer replacement is one of the newest examples. One blog gives notes on how to use chat GPT-3 to dispute parking fines. The world's first robot lawyer called Do Not Pay is being advertised as helping millions of consumers solve their problems. The company's CEO, Joshua Browder, tweeted, Do Not Pay will pay any lawyer or person $1 million with an upcoming case in front of the United States Supreme Court to wear AirPods and let our robot lawyer argue the case by repeating exactly what it says. Do Not Pay's robot lawyer is set to make its debut in a U.S. courtroom next month to help someone contest a parking ticket. And in another business sector, some medical and tech professionals have called the use of AI an unethical experiment. Coco, a free mental health service and nonprofit that partners with online communities to find and treat at-risk individuals, used GPT-3 to assist with mental health care. Rob Morse, Coco's co-founder, said that the messages composed by AI were rated significantly higher than those written by humans, and that response times went down by 50% with the help of AI. Yet he said when people learned that the messages were written with AI, they felt disturbed by the simulated empathy. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: Fisher-Price reissued a recall Monday for a baby sleeper responsible for over 100 infant deaths. The initial recall of nearly 5 million rock-and-play sleepers came in April 2019. After more than 30 infants died when they rolled from their backs to their stomachs or sides while unrestrained. Since then, about 70 more deaths have been reported. The rock-and-play sleepers were sold between September 2009 and April 2019 at major retailers, including Walmart, Target and Amazon. Consumers are urged to stop using the product immediately and contact Fisher-Price for a refund or voucher. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Tiffany Meyer. And if you have any news, tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching and I'll see you tomorrow.